all relationships are a set of chips you're putting on a table and then you're removing and you're cashing in at different points, right? Like, like, yes, that is always the equation that you're, you know, managing in your head. The biggest challenges I've seen where I've had an HR leader really have trouble with the CEO is because it wasn't a focus on that relationship. It was a focus on the job or the brand, which was the trade-off they may have decided to make. But I always encourage people if they want it to be a long-term job, like use all of your spidey sense and go in hard with the leader that you're going to be partnering with. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the HR Heretics podcast, where we get into the real talk of company construction. These are the conversations that happen between founders, chief people officers, and board members behind closed doors. We're heretics in this industry because there's a culture of silence around important business topics, especially with people. But on the show, we tell the truth and expect the same from our guests. This week's guest is Kara Brennan Alamano. I love talking with Kara Nolan. We go way back. I've known Kara for years. She's had an amazing career that I admire. She was at Adobe in the early days, Pinterest, then moved on to Planet as their vice president of people, up to Udemy, and now to Lattice. So a big, big career in HR tech as a business and a people leader. She's a contributor for Forbes, which is awesome, and is a co-founder for People Tech Partners, which I am proudly a part of and have been for years as an advisor. So she's done it all. One of the reasons I love this conversation is because Lattice has an amazing culture. And Kara talks about who actually owns culture. And a big hint, it's not just her. It's everyone in the company. We also talked a bit about when Kara says no, and specifically saying no to her boss, the CEO, when she should be pushing, when she shouldn't be pushing, and how she navigates some of these really tough gray areas that all chief people officers have to navigate. I'm so stoked for our audience to listen to this episode. You're going to learn a ton from Kara. She's also one of the most fun, entertaining guests I think we've had. Great sense of humor and a great outlook on this role. Without further ado, here's Kara. Kara, thanks so much for joining us. Welcome to the show. Glad to be here. How do you and Kelly know each other? Oh my, oh my gosh. God. Oh my God. It's one of those things where someone asks you and you're like, I don't even remember. You're like, well, that's a good thing. (laughs) Kelly, this is the thing with HR people. We just, especially in tech, it's a small world. The the great HR folks that are kind of, I don't know, Nolan, why are we here? The envelope pushers. They just (laughs) do big things and then people tech partners. And then it's, it's been so fun to watch you. You've crushed it. You know, what's so funny is, and I'm sure you get this, Kelly, you're a legend and people are like, oh, how did you do it? And what's your strategy? And how did you lay out this path? For better, for worse, a couple of my inherent character traits are, uh, I have very low tolerance for pain. And I'm a little bit lazy, I think. So, you know, what does that lead to? That leads to wanting to work in jobs where I'm enjoying myself and doing cool things. And putting myself in a position where I'm in places where I get a lot of energy and doing cool things like building and being around cool people like Kelly and learning, those are all things that give me energy. And I found that if I don't do those things, then I can be miserable faster than the normal human, I think. Interesting. So you just learn it. You yeah. Know, low you tolerance. You said low tolerance yeah. for pain. Most chief low. people officers have high tolerance for pain. I I agree. And and I think that sometimes we don't serve ourselves super well in a profession when we tolerate and see ourselves in some ways as sort of warriors, when in reality, I think if we see ourselves as just another employee that's trying to do our best and have a really good employee experience and expect our leaders to sort of rise to the occasion, when we are in that place for ourselves, and, and I've had to learn this too, right? I've had to learn it too. But when we live that, it, it tends to work out better for everybody. Totally. I mean, you you wrote that article, right? Forbes, right? We, we tend to step into this position and accept it of being all things to all people. And then what happens? Everyone's like, well, you're going to, that's your brand. You're going to fix it all. You're going to do it. It's like, listen, I am one part of the cog. I'm an employee also. Let's go, people. And that expectation setting, maybe we can talk about this because 
when I was 22 starting this way different than now where the first thing I do is say, listen, here's, here's what I do. I don't own the culture. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Oh my God. Right. And by the way, that doesn't allow for other people around you to rise to the best work that they can do. And you will never succeed in a world where your job is to keep people happy because whether we like it or not, I'm not capable of that. Kelly, I don't know. I don't know that you are. The other thing is we are, we are the epitome of what got you here. Won't get you there from a professional standpoint. What is rewarded and what we do at early in our careers is really about a lot of, of keeping people happy, really being able to be in the trenches, feeling like you are of service, which I think is really important. And that's what excites me, right? Like seeing, working through other people. If you don't get excited about helping other people be successful, then like this isn't the career path for you because that is all that this ultimately offers at the end of the day. But in order to be of service at the CPO level or the highest level of an organization, this is where it takes lots of boundaries, lots of ruthless prioritization, really strong partnerships with with all of your stakeholders. And it is a it's a different skill set than often what will get you there. When we step into that place of prioritization, of boundaries, of of clear articulation of our value and and what what we can prioritize for the organization and for ourselves. It takes a lot of courage and I'm still working on this piece too, but, but, you know, it came up earlier this year. An example is we've been having a lot of conversations about in office, remote, hybrid, and it's been a tough year. We're trying to drive efficiency and effectiveness at Lattice just as much as anybody is. And, and so we're having open conversations across the organization about, What's working? What isn't working? Does being in the office make more sense? And I talked with my team. I talked with other CHROs that were going through their transition of bringing people back to the office and how they were managing it. And I'll tell you, the number one message I got across the board was, oh my gosh, it's a lot of work. Like, this is not something where one day you say, you got to, you got to come back into the office and then a week later, everything settled down. Um, I had a friend who who recently, uh, I wouldn't say rage quit, but I would say very quickly walked away from her role at Apple after five and a half years, high level HR, because she said her role had devolved into a lot of passive aggressively trying to get people back into the office. And so I'm using this because I think this is real for so many people out there. But this was a moment where I had to stand and, and I did have the conversation with Jack and I was like, look, this is this is not going to work at this point in time for the company for us to try to put together a whole initiative and deliver against a, a you know, a, a shift in the location of our work. And I said, I'm totally supportive if we want to do this with different teams or let different managers do it. But it's not something I'm going to be able to deliver as a CPO for you at this time with the rest of the stuff we have on board. I'm really lucky that I have a CEO who listens and, and gives a shit enough to say, okay, I hear that. And let's talk about priorities and I, let's see, see where this falls. But I also know that in those moments, those are moments in time where the part of me that loves to deliver and wants to be the A plus student, I had to say like, no, like this isn't going to be it. And I had to know that if that doesn't work for Lattice and that was a top priority for the business, that means that I'm not the CPO that's going to do that. And Kara, were you saying no from a business continuity standpoint? Are you saying no from a, uh, you know, I'm worried that we're not listening to our employees standpoint? Like where is, where are you saying no and why? Yes. And I think in general, What I would say functionally and stepping back is I think that I did not want to be one of those leaders that had underestimated the change and the, and the amount of effort that it takes to do this the right way. And so I think I had one of our values at Lattice is clear eyes and, and I wanted to, I wanted to be a person that had clear eyes about what this actually takes to do it well. Um, 
And at that point, we hadn't done the work around listening to employees. I knew that if we had committed to that, we would get to a place where we'd be listening. But um, but we didn't even get to that part of the conversation because it was just a, a hard-nosed decision not to move forward because of the level of work that it would take. And we just didn't have the bandwidth. Kara, that moment you said, listen, no, this is going to take... like. There's so many examples of of HR leaders, even chief people offices that are really opinionated, ended up saying, yes, they become the mouthpiece of whatever the CEO kind of wants, and it spirals from there. Like, how how do you get to that point where with, with your CEO where you can just say no, right? That just can't come out of nowhere. And do you worry about him being upset about that later on like it, it like does he really actually want that to be the case and he it's less about him being uh okay with the decision you made and more about him being talked out of it in the moment um i think those are all super questions and i agree with you nolan i think i think that is a tough call because you can't predict the future and all relationships are sort of a, a set of chips you're putting on a table and then you're removing and you're cashing in at different points right like like, yes, that is always the equation that, that you're doing, that you're, you know, managing in your head when you're, when you're doing these things. Um, I think I would go back to just a fundamental experience, fundamental reality is that in order to do a good job as a people leader, you have to have that relationship with your CEO. And it, it's taken me, you know, this far in my career to truly understand that at a deep level. And I think, especially in high growth technology companies, you have to understand what, what you can do and what you can't and be prepared, um, be prepared for whatever that means and know that, that any, any moment is going to be a trade off between what you're able to deliver and the resources you have and, and the resources you don't. So um, Jack and I had had a lot of conversations before this and, and I was really lucky. And, and I think I, or lucky I'm extremely intentional about the organizations I join and, and knowing who Jack is and knowing that we're fundamentally aligned and him knowing that I wouldn't say no, unless I really felt it was not good for the business and not good for employees. Um, but it's a constant negotiation, right? Like you're constantly deciding what am I going to put myself out there for and what am I not? Hey, everyone. We'll be right back in a moment after a word from our sponsors. Hey, everybody. Your co-host Nolan here. High performance and great culture should never be at odds. They're better together. With Lattice People Management Platform, companies efficiently run people programs that create enviable cultures where employees want to do their best work. Serving thousands of customers of all sizes globally, Lattice helps everyone work better together. Learn why companies from Slack to the LA Dodgers choose Lattice. Visit Lattice.com slash HR Heretics today. That's Lattice, L-A-T-T-I-C-E dot com. Have you ever had a negative experience hiring an executive? I certainly did at Carta and DoorDash, and that's why I started Continuum, the modern AI-powered executive search firm. Continuum connects executives and senior operators to venture-backed tech companies for fractional and full-time roles. You could post any executive-level role to Continuum's marketplace and search through our database of world-class experienced leaders. Continuum will intelligently surface your opportunity to relevant operators. They'll express interest and show up in your inbox. It's like magic. There's no platform fee or hidden cost. You only pay the person you hire, and you can cancel at any time. If you're thinking about hiring an exec in the middle of a search right now or don't know how to solve a problem, I get it. Scaling is hard. Companies like Athletic Greens, Weights and Biases, Masari, and more than 100 other tech companies have turned to Continuum for help solving their people ops, go-to-market, engineering, and finance challenges. So check out Continuum in the description below. Ping me on LinkedIn if you have any questions or head to joincontinuum.com. Kara, how do you pick the right CEO to work with? That can be such a circus and very confusing. I want to hear your answer here too. I, on this, I, right? I, I mean, I'm happy to, but like you, you've you've joined so many great companies, you've had a great like. How, how do you 
pick them. I mean, they're, they're picking us obviously, but, 100%. and I feel like a lot of HR leaders, they, they don't realize that half the battle is also picking them. It's not yes. just you getting picked, but how do you pick oh, and what yes. do you look for? I think the shiny object syndrome is really tough, especially in Silicon Valley. Um, I think because there are so many hype cycles constantly that it's really easy to get caught up with what that could mean for you and your career to get a brand name that everybody reacts to one way or the other. And financially. And financially, right? Like this is generational wealth that you're opting into or not. Like, so I think first of all is really a grounding and understanding like how do you build a long career? And then I've also had people that have said, I'm not, I'll, I'll take it. Like I'm, I had a friend that joined Uber and was like, I know that this, and by the way, Kelly, like Nolan, we know if it's going to be a dumpster fire way before anybody else does. Right. For sure. Well, you know, the front page news is all rainbows and sunshine, but you know, you have two or three HR friends or folks on the VC side or even recruiters um, who, who give you the inside line. And I've had plenty of friends that have been like, I know in a year and a half, this is going to be a super not, you know, I may walk away, but I'm going to walk away with generational wealth and I will have done the best I could in this year and a half. And boom. I also have friends that are executive recruiters that (laughs) told me um, after last year's crash that there was a little bit of remorse in, in, in their minds. Um, Two separate exact recruiters, which is hilarious to me, were self-reflecting and say, damn, I I sold some HR leaders into some jobs that even I knew probably weren't going to be the best thing for them. So you don't agree. You don't you don't agree with the path of, hey, this is going to be a shit show for a year and a half, two years. I might hate my life, but I'm going to make a lot of money. Trap, trap. Trade-off's not worth it. I think you have to ask that person because I actually have friends on, on all sides of that. I have some friends that were like, that was the worst X period of time in my life, but here I am and I'm, you know, doing my thing and I feel like it's, it's reasonable. I have other friends that their, their path is different and they want to build something different. So I think to answer your very first question, and I'd love your perspective on this, Nolan, from the recruiting and, 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 uh, talent acquisition side. But to answer your first question, I think is understanding what is your goal with this particular role. And if your goal is really longevity and building that career over time, it is only about that trust and relationship. And it is not about the shiny object and coming to a place where you're like, I care about that CEO human. And then I understand that the rest of what's who the board members are and then the executive team, um, that becomes an easy thing for for HR people to, to do because we do know how to opt into talent and how to identify talent. The biggest challenges I've seen where I've had an HR leader really have trouble with a CEO is because often because it wasn't a focus on that relationship. It was a focus on the job or, or the, or the brand, which was the trade-off they may have decided to make. But I always encourage people if they want it to be a long-term job, like use all of your spidey sense and go in hard with the leader that you're going to be partnering with. Tell us about the interview process then with Jack and how you specifically vetted the relationship with him. Um, I have the privilege of knowing Jack for a long time. So I think um, Lattice was a people tech company, people tech partners company. I also, within the ecosystem, had a lot of people that knew Jack. Um, And Caitlin Holloway, who's a friend of mine, also had a strong relationship. So, you know... There is, there's, there are very few secrets and very little secret sauce in this. A lot of it is like, ask people that know this person if they are, you know, hitting the mark on X, Y, and Z, what you're looking for. And then what I know, a couple things that um, are really important to me that Jack really clearly displays are, um, first of all, is a level of integrity as a leader. Um and he's made some tough calls, but everything, it, he leads with thoughtfulness and, and good intention. So that matters to me. Um, 
from a human perspective. And I also learned professionally that that makes my job a lot easier. <laughs> so again, that goes back to my laziness. But, um, but there's that. Um, and then he's a good listener. And he really, you know, I, I have the privilege of being part of this, this meta situation where he's served HR leaders through Lattice and, and, and the product that he builds. But, um, you know, inherent cu- curiosity and, and leading with, 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 um, really strong listening and, and seeking to understand. Um, I, I think those are the best leaders, or at least those are the best leaders for me. There are other folks and, and other CPOs that look for other things. Yeah. Yeah. I think it can be, it can be dangerous, right? Cause I mean, when I was younger, it was about, Hey, there's this job and there, and, and I'll be honest, I didn't really think about can I live with this person for, do I know exactly. this person? Like what the hell? Like you're, you're excited about the job. You're excited yes. about the challenge. And then you get like, Oh shit. Like yes. I yikes. Well, I wonder, Kelly, you're bringing up a good point though, which is I, I think earlier in your career, the trade-off might be worth it. If the opportunity is big enough for you to grow. And then later in your career, as you've been more successful, you can be more choosy. Yes. And that can hit a certain point, right? You know, young thirties and, and it's good because you learn what you want to tolerate and what you can't or won't. You learn who you are. And I'll be honest now, I don't care really what the company does. I don't care if it's a widget, a service, a freaking John Deere. I don't care what it is. Who are the people? Are they trying to make the world a better place? And are they trying to create a great environment, not just at work, but, but for right there, there, there are people overall. And that is something that, especially in Silicon Valley, you can miss it and all the hype of all this stuff. And you come up with your list of non-negotiables. Absolutely. I didn't know what those were back then. We really also in our role in HR, I mean, there's so many interesting things to think about, but we really have the paradox of choice, right? In the sense that we can work in any industry for the most part, we can work for any kind of company. I've worked across MarTech and AdTech and SpaceTech and EdTech and PeopleTech, right? Like, what? Like, that's nuts, right? On the other hand, it doesn't require us, I believe, it doesn't ask us to be as intentional throughout our career as many as many leaders who are saying, okay, I'm going to be a marketing leader, which means really deep understanding of this particular vertical, right? So we're not rewarded for that. We're not necessarily rewarded for that. And I think in some ways, because many of us are people pleasers and our goal is is really to be of service, those things really crash together and can be tough if you don't get to a place like Kelly did, where you're ultimately like, it's really about the work um, and, and what works for me. Yeah. The, the biggest piece of advice I give, cause there's a lot of, you know, young up and cover up and comers now, yes. right. We're yes. old and crotchety now. Thank Kara, goodness. Like, Thank goodness. <laughs> and so there's a lot of like the new 31 yes. year olds that yes. are like, I want to be yes. in the top job. I'm like, good God, why do you want to, but they're like, well, what do you think? I said, look, I, what I, what I would tell you is what I wish I did is, is try Try, not always, but just try to at least talk to three to five companies before you jump to the first one that comes at you because they do come and they come fast and it's the sexy series B CPO and you want to jump it. Like, just find three more or find one more. Um, Kind of like, right, Nolan, what we say to recruiters don't hire the first candidate. Like, talk to five to like, it's similar. And and I, I really didn't do that early on. Yeah. What care, what I'm taking away from, from your relationship with Jack is you can't replace time. And then you're leveraging your network for deeper insights than what you can gain during an interview process. And I don't think, I don't think people do that, especially that second piece of like really going deep. It's almost like back channeling who you're going to work for in the same way that they're going to back channel you. Yes. Yes. I would agree a hundred percent. I will posit that I think the CPO job varies probably the greatest as well. So part of what I want to do and what I love you and Nolan are doing here and what I think we need to do more for each other from a professional standpoint is we have a lot of people that will speak for us. We have CEOs that tell us what their CPO should do. We have consultants coming in saying, see, you know, your HR team should do this. 
we literally in like the last year and a half are just starting to have the conversation ourselves and be like, I know. Hey, I know it's I crazy. Say the words for me. Right. And like, we can actually help each other and open, yes. like open this thing up and be transparent. But like, I, I will say something. And someone said this to me like a year ago or so is there, there was always this like really odd vibe of like, I don't know if it's competition or like, what are you doing? And like, I never cared about that. Like, Tell everyone to send them the decks. Like, do you think that like is out there? I feel like it's breaking because for better or worse, we're all like (laughs) at the end of our rope and like, it's been a tough three years and we're all kind of like, just kind of too tired to do, but like, what, what is that like vibe out there? You know what what I'm seeing and and I'll be a hundred percent real here is I think that there were people like you always out there that would send over the deck and would pick up the phone. I have, you know, a growing list of people like that who are always the people that that it's not about competition and it's not a zero-sum game. What I've seen in the last year and a half is those are the people that are rising to the top. Those are the people whose careers are taking off. Those are the people that, for better or for worse, survived the last five years and didn't have all the, you know, we have so many people that I've just had to tap out for a while. And I say that with hesitance because there were also wonderful and amazing people leaders that that needed breaks. So that's not it. But the people that I've seen really continue to push the envelope in like this moment in time when our job, I I, I posit is the most important job in the C-suite. And I will always say that now. So those are the people that are winning and they're winning because they have all the best information in a time where the currency of how people figured out COVID and how you're doing back to office and what systems you're choosing and what innovation, like that's, that's the currency of our jobs right now. That's what makes us successful. Yeah. And if you're a founder CEO, I mean, I want someone next to me that has all of that stuff, all of the networks, all like all the power in a great way, Yes, but never ever wants to use it for their own good. Like that is the magic is someone who's just a baller and doesn't really care and doesn't (laughs) want to be. And they they don't, they're in the seat. They don't want to be in the seat. Like it's, it's the best. Uh, Yeah. It goes against human, it goes against human nature, but they're altruistic. Like the best people are altruistic care. I'm curious. What do you think about this trend of leaders coming outside of HR into HR? And why do you think that is? Well, I think um, a couple things of the why. I think the role has gotten a lot more interesting and a lot meatier and a lot more complex and a lot more sophisticated lately. So I'm not surprised that, and by the way, Kelly, a lot more sexy um, in the last five, five to seven years. Um, so I'm not surprised that, that there are more people who are interested in it. I think, um, there are really smart, motivated, ambitious people want to be where the key decisions are being made. Um, and I do think that's the people side of business. I think it's paying a lot better now. All of the indicators are saying, you know, the HR profession is, is a very fast growing, um, and, and compensation wise as well. I agree. Quick one on that. The comp, the comp piece for CPOs has skyrocketed to your point. What one piece of advice for our, our next generation interviewing for this role? What's the biggest lever to dig into? Ask for Nolan, you, you as well, that maybe you both learned from or I have too. What, what do we miss in comp negotiations for the CPO role? Because we do. I agree that we do. I think we miss asking the question, like, so fundamentally basic. Um, but but knowing the data and and asking for 10% more than you were offered, 20% more, the worst it could be is no. That's a good point. And then you can still decide. I, I also would say that 70 to 80% of a company's expenses are people related. And so tying that reality into the discussion, I think is, is really important. I think a big reason it isn't as high as other executives though, is because a lot of people leaders aren't tying their decisions to business outcomes. Mm-hmm. And that's I, going back to the question. I actually think I was going to say, going back to your question, that's a big go. reason. That's a big reason why I think mm-hmm. a lot of non-HR people are now getting into the seat and a lot of CEOs are asking for non-HR people because HR has come from this lens 
that's been employee focused versus business focused. That's my take on it, Kara. I'm curious to hear your take. I actually agree and disagree. Um, and I was talking about this with a, with a cohort of CHROs two weeks ago. Um, I think folks that have only had the experience of up and to the right, particularly in Silicon Valley, in HR, underserved. This last year has been brutal for HR leaders. You know, I've, I've been on the phone calls with, with tears and, and folks that I know are amazing people leaders. But if you haven't been asked to manage through a layoff, if you haven't had to face the squeeze of budgets and effectiveness and efficiency drivers, and you haven't had to talk, speak really strong business alignment, um, you do feel helpless in those scenarios because your heart is with your employees. And the absolute worst thing you would ever have to do as a, as a people leader is, is ask people to leave your organization involuntarily. Like that sucks. Let's just call it what it is. So you want to know personally and within your team that you as a leader are doing absolutely everything you can to make the right business cases, the right business decisions, either to, to justify and make sure these folks can leave with dignity and knowing that this was the right decision for the business and prevent this for the future. Right. But if your only experience, which is not anyone's fault in and of themselves, but if your only experience has been up into the right, you are unprepared for that. You're unprepared to sit in that seat um, and, and have to make those really tough calls. It doesn't mean you can't rise to the occasion and you can't learn and grow and get the right advice, but you are fundamentally underprepared for what we're asking you to do. I have been through two other downturns before this, and I know how miserable it is, but I also feel prepared um, at the level in which I'm operating. So what do I think? I think... I think I sound like a very old lady when I say this, but I think this is going to make all of us better because on the other side of us, and I do know it's going to be another side, Kelly, we're going to have an entire cohort of people leaders that are just going to be super badasses because they will know business. They will know how to navigate effectiveness and efficiency. They will have passion and confidence around that. And they'll know what really good looks like and what it's like when you have an infinite budget and can do whatever you want on the innovation side, right? That's a great lens. That's such a great lens because the last 12 years made us soft because we didn't have to deal with a whole lot of adversity. I, I think you I think you just nailed that, Kara. On the layoff piece, you guys did a layoff in the last 12 to 18 months, right? Yep, we did in January. And actually, Jack's note went viral, um, the note where he, he articulated our, our, our approach there. So it's November now. I keep hearing from companies that have gone through layoffs that their, their employee happiness is higher, that employee product, productivity is up. Curious what you guys are saying after that. You know, we we keep a close track on on where our employees are. Um, we the good news is is um, as a company, we didn't take the hit that some of the other, that some other folks had. We had a terrible layoff, and it was awful. Um, you know, ten percent plus of our employees. Um, I do think the thoughtfulness and the communication and the, and the transparency that you drive during those processes help on the other side, right? Because you're, you're dealing with two cohorts of folks that are affected, those that are staying and those that are going. Um, so, so I think the fact that that was managed pretty well helped us. So we didn't see a lot of the, the low lows and then the high highs. I think, I think it's great that people have, have rebounded to whatever level, level they are, but, Talk to me when it's another six months because I care about employee sentiment over time because that tells me really how well you're doing. I think when you see a lot of um, variation, that tells me people are still sort of settling and figuring out what the what is. So so while I feel like we're in a good spot, um, we have leveled out. We were never, like I said, low, low, high, high. We're, we are in a healthy, relatively healthy spot. I have, I have a quick, I'd love your take on this. So uh, Colleen's episode, I don't know if you listened to it, Kara, we talked about a bit about layoffs and reductions in force and Anola, and I'm going to um, try and remember this from memory, but we talked about the how and use examples like Twitter, right? And, and how they did that versus say, maybe how I'm assuming Lattice did it. And you know, my friend Nolan's like, people will be fine. It doesn't matter. And I was like, dude, it does fucking matter. 
And I would love maybe, you know, and you can jump into obviously, but it does matter. Right. We were talking to be specific. We were talking about rolling layoffs. And I said, I used to believe rolling layoffs were like a death spiral for a company. And what I learned from Twitter is that's not the case, right? People are fine and the company is fine. And people who want to work at Twitter are now very much opting into that for better or worse, whatever we think, I don't think matters. It's very clear now what their brand is and the type of employee they're attracting. That's, that's what I had said. Thank you. And I, and I do not like, I just advised a company two weeks ago. I said, please do anything you can to avoid rolling layoffs. So, yeah. Um, well, I think it depends on the company you want to build and the outcomes you want. I think that um, a, my personal belief and my experience and actually what the research tells us is that companies that care about company performance and care about people are the ones with the strongest outcomes. And I think you have to have that level of North Star when you're going through um, a layoff. And my number one request my entire team is we lead with dignity here. So if at any point in time, like there's a million moving parts when you're, when you're having to manage through something like this, you're going to have a ton of decision points at, at every level. Um, we always lean on the, the dignity um, of, of our employees at that point. I think also peak, you know, peek behind the curtain here. We did have folks, we had investors that told us, make this decision. You've got three weeks and, um, this needs to happen. So make it happen. It was another moment where I said three weeks is not enough. And I'm, and the answer is no. And so what we did is we spent more time. I believe that especially for the, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to do a layoff, right, whether it's 10 people or a hundred people, it's going to take four to six weeks. And I always add time on top of that because I believe executing and at this level and doing the right things takes time and effort. And I, I would, I would venture to say, and these are the conversations I had with C, CPOs across the board and, and time is a luxury, right? I, I totally recognize that. But there were a lot of CHROs, CPOs, heads of people during the time and, and still are that are put in situations where they just don't have the time to do it the right way. And I think, Nolan, what I would say for rolling layoffs or any type of exit, whatever you're doing, be thoughtful about it and know that you're making intentional decisions instead of just trying to be reactive to the moment. And that's sort of true no matter what. I think we're anchoring on a layoff because it tends to be the extreme, but this is where you have to, you have to know where you stand. You have to be ruthless with prioritization and you, you have to know what it takes to do a good job. I love your take around. It's the company that you want to build and how you handle these situations is reflective of that and is illuminating not only for your current team, but also future employees. hundred percent. Kara, we love to talk about screw ups here. Um, in, in the spirit of learning. Heard right? that. Uh, heard it. Oh, God bless, right? We totally. All any 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 kind of big ones you can remember through your career? Oh, my Advice gosh. for the audience yeah, on, on scaling on this role, on any of it? Um, you know, taking full ownership myself, I think there were definitely points of time when I, I didn't say no and I tried to do too much and um, you know, to give specific examples around that, I, I think earlier in my career, I was not thoughtful enough about the effort of my team. And like, I would push hard and then they would push hard. And then I think a lot of times that leads to not the level of team cohesion and, and outcomes that, that, is most helpful. And the good news is many of these folks have forgiven me for it. <laughs> but, you know, I think about one of the very first performance review cycles I pushed out at Planet Labs was like, come in. Everybody was asking for it. We needed it. And so we pushed it out. And 
damn, I wish I could do that again. It was one of the first things that I did when I got there. And it was sort of like botched and, you know, the comms weren't where they were. So you had 70% of the org like get it and the rest not. And so you're cleaning that up for the next four years that I was there. Remember that? Remember when we had a really bad performance review cycle and nobody knew what to do? Yes, I remember that. For so, four years. For four years, I remember <laughs> that. And then maybe, you know, maybe subconsciously, I, I, I'm here at Lattice to to pay, to pay, to fix. To, on the payback, to, to fix, fix. But I you think You know, those that, bricks are, those bricks are so important early on. You just right? kind of, again, this role should be one of the most highest paid. I mean, things that you're doing, yes. they last years. I'm like, no wonder years. Series A founders are now just shelling out 300 grand to have one person take them through, <laughs> right? It's like build your house right from the beginning. It is the best. You know what the best part of that, Kelly, is? Is that 300K for that head of people that knows what they're doing? Is the board is demanding it, which is the hilarious part, right? They're like, you will write a check. <laughs> there's no there, there's no choice anymore. The pain is real. I will sleep at night. <laughs> Kara, what I hear you say when you say, say no. Yes. Um, what I actually am hearing is... It's not no, it's just if you want to do it right, it's going to take a little longer. Totally. But I also want to tell you, Nolan, it actually is no for me. And I'm, I'm going to call the, I'm going to call this out. And I think this is, you know, as a woman, I actually really own my no and, and, and hear me when, and that's what it is. And it's hear me when I say no. And, and it's yes, and it will take more and for my reputation and for knowing what good looks like and aligning with the good, the answer is no. I'm not, I'm assuming you're not using that very often, right? No, never, very rarely. Yeah. Cause that's a card that you can only pull a couple of times in a relationship. A hundred percent. And, and, and God bless. I, I do not spend, I'm, I'm giving you the examples of the no because you're asking, but these are the, these are the brief examples of the no. And that's the other piece is when you, when you know the priorities and you're able to consistently deliver, when my team is able to consistently deliver at a high level and you've set and established a bar, then yeah, people will really listen when the answer is no, because they know that you're doing absolutely everything you can to say yes most of the time. What is, what would, what would your business partners say about why is your team effective? Like what in their words, like what does it look like for the business to have, to work with an effective people team? Mm-hmm. Um, I think, first of all, they know the business. I, I stand behind um, particularly the people partner function that we, you know, across the board. I, I don't want to minimize anyone on my team. I actually feel like they're all extremely effectively business minded, um, business minded HR people. But what I have heard consistently is they are partners in understanding the strategic outcomes that we need to drive as a business and then we work backward from there. And that sounds pretty obvious and sounds like it makes sense and it's, you know, it's simple, not easy. Um, I think it's a really important piece that not every HR group can deliver against. I've referred to that people partner function as a COO of HR. Yes, yes. I love that COO of HR. I love that, Kelly. Interesting. I like that too. Um, it is there something around speed in today's world? Because like I, I feel like if it, the HR leaders I talk to are telling me there's immense pressure on them to do more with less faster. I'm assuming your team's in that mode right now too. You know what is also kind of interesting to me, and Kelly, I'd be interested both of you. Um, in many ways, I'm having, I've, I've thought about a lot of this, right? What are our key priorities? How do we do the work to get to the outcomes we want? It's interesting to me that a lot of what we know is right and good about management and how to treat people is perennial. Hey, I started my career in newspapers of all places, right? And I had a lot of a lot of salty folks in the newsroom give me a lot of platitudes about 
people are X and here's how you manage and stuff like that. A lot of it was right, right? How you treat people. Um, I have a, a CFO that I worked with that I have a lot of respect for. And he said, bottom line, this is a guy who worked for 50 years. All anybody wants is respect. They want to feel heard. They want to be respectful. They want to be considered 100% right. So in some ways, I think, I think we can make it harder for ourselves on the people side of business. I think I have learned to try to cut through some of my emotion, other people's emotion, not that that's not important, but if you really are wanting to get to results, it it may not be as hard as we let it be. And I say that, and this is sort of the shiny objects thing, because shiny objects happens inside an organization as well as outside. If you're going back and you're saying, how do I help, how do I ensure that people feel respected? How do I ensure that that people are learning and growing in their roles? And how do I ensure that our business is a lot, our, our people strategies align with our business strategy? Like you start there and then you're like, how do I get there? A lot of that, again, is, you know, manager one-on-ones and, um, and great compensation structures and philosophies and, um, and employee surveys and good feedback. And this is where the beg, borrowing, and stealing, right, Kelly? This is where t- learning from each other and knowing what good looks like and, and making sure you're staying curious is really important. And I think sometimes in HR, we spend a lot of time sort of spinning on the new and the next and the exciting and all this, when in reality, it, it is, there's a lot of basics here. And I think part of this is because I have a master's degree in HR and OD and nobody, nothing in HR in my master's degree was directly applicable (laughs) to my work, right? I second that. I second that. 100%. Thank you. Very theoretical. We don't, you know, it was great. I love going to school. I'm, I'm still going to school. But there is not that playbook where you can go to school and get it. There is not, we do not have that structure professionally. So we have to do it for ourselves. And those that beg, borrow, and steal win. It's a learn by doing. 100%. Especially in these companies that, are, I mean, we just, they change every three months. I mean, by the time the playbooks, you got to burn it. Uh, but the universal thread is the basics, right? You can, you can take those basics and run them through and then tweak those for the innovation. Like, you know, go the inverse. Kara, how do you teach and develop those in your team? What's one of the biggest things you lean on to build your successors in Lattice? Well, first of all, um, they usually do more teaching and developing me. (laughs) So hire well. (laughs) Hire well. Man, like I'm constantly amazed and just have been, right? And I think part of me is I I have big eyes. I look around and and I don't, I, I actually don't believe a lot in imposter syndrome and you know, just stick with me. But, you know, either that or I'm so seeped in it that I just can't see outside my bubble. But I'm constantly looking around being like, these people are way smarter than me. <laughs> they know much more. And so I just ask a ton of questions. And and why do you think that way? And conv- just this morning, we were talking about goals. My team will appreciate this, my leaders. And so, so the very first thing to me and, and what I just anchor on so deeply to the point of annoyance is, is structure around, um, OKRs. And my, my fundamental belief is pick whatever it is, V2 mom, OKRs, whatever your magical goal setting, spend a lot of time, more than you think you should in planning and alignment and getting clear about what your core priorities are and have a process and a system to stick to that. And then leave people alone to do the work. Like talk about the what and then let them figure out the how. And part of that is just born like that's how I operate. And so I look for people that are smart, that want to bring their own stuff to the table and that'll figure it out. And then that gets exciting for you as a leader because you're saying, oh my God, I've never thought about doing it that way. But literally just this morning, so we're doing our planning for next year. And my leaders had come up with a measurement around attrition, retention, and I'm extremely stubborn. And I was like, I don't agree with this. And I was like, hey, you all did a great job. But 
no on this. And then I get the, hey, it would be great to chat about this in our people leadership team. <laughs> so I was like, okay, they're not taking no for an answer, which is exactly what I want too, right? You want good, you want good conversations around this. But, um, but being in a position where you can be convinced otherwise and, and, and it just like, I, I, the, it was an amazing discussion. I saw the thought process and I was like, man, this is, this is so right on. And I'm so glad you all came to the table and pushed back and are, are happy to, to tell me how I don't know what I'm doing in this particular area. You just described an idea of meritocracy. Hey, Nolan, I still got to make the call, but you're right. <laughs> yeah, but that, it, it, but that's what that is. And I have found that truly what smart people want is an idea of meritocracy. Yeah, I, great. Uh, that's it, Nolan. That's what we have. <laughs> Let me ask you our rapid fire questions. I want to know who is your best hire and why? This is an easy answer for me because with People Tech Partners, I hired my sister and and talk about back channel, right, Nolan? She's amazing. And I had the privilege of working with her. So it, it, that was an easy answer. Why? Because she's the best um, VP of customer success that I've ever worked with. And she leads with passion. So for sure. That's dope. Where do you, Where did you work with her? Um, I, so I work with her with people tech partners. She's our operational partner there. Mm -hmm. Cool. I love that. Okay. And then what is your favorite interview question that gets you the best signal on candidates? I like to know why somebody wants to join this particular company. Why, why this company instead of all the others. And for me, because I think it's a, I like to test my bullshit meter and I think that one's a hard one to, to, you're either answering authentically or you're not. You either did the research and work or you didn't. Yeah. And I know the companies that I work in are high growth technology companies that if, you do have to have a belief. You have to be able, you have to internalize the reason that you're here because it's hard, right? And you have to believe. <laughs> you got to drink the Kool-Aid. You got to drink the Kool-Aid. It's so important. You have, you really, you're right. You do have to believe and you have to believe in the mission and you have to believe in the product and you have to believe in the direction that it's going because high tech growth, especially in the last few years has been fucking brutal. Brutal. And we're going to see another side to it. And the people that live to see the other side are going to have the best stories to tell. And this is how they're like, this is why there's another side, right? Cause it does make you better. Right. It's hard, but you get a total other side of the business. And once you have that 360, it's insane. Like I will hire those people all day long. I love that. Kara, thank you so much for spending the time with us. Appreciate you. Thank you so much. It was great to talk. All right. You too. Thanks, Solon. HR Heretics is a podcast from Turpentine, the network behind Econ 102, Moment of Zen, and Turpentine VC. Subscribe, five stars, share it on Apple, YouTube. Spotify, anywhere you get your podcasts, all the things.